Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast. First podcast since the end of the NBA season, which ended on Sunday night when the Los Angeles Lakers beat the Miami Heat 106-93. to LeBron James won his fourth NBA title, his fourth finals MVP, and it doesn't seem like he's quite done yet. And today's episode is basically going to be a finals look back, but really just a LeBron love fest. So if you don't like LeBron, you don't want to listen to this podcast because we are going to be praising LeBron like crazy on this episode. And joining me to do that is... My buddy, my pal, Evan Damarell, of Forbes Sports, of Fear the Sword on SB Nation, also the host, the co-host of the Locked on Cavs podcast with Chris Manning, a show that I have appeared on a few times. And now they are doing side work with WKYC, which is the local news station. Um, so part of their part of their locked on calf segments will be going on the local news station, which is awesome. Happy happy for those two. Um, so I couldn't think of a better person to hop on and talk about LeBron than Evan Damarell himself. And without further ado, the LeBron Love Fest. We are now at the end, or it is over, a long, a very long NBA season that had a lot of twists and turns, a pandemic, a four-month stoppage. But in the end, the one thing that remained constant is that LeBron James wants his damn respect. And somebody else who also wants their damn respect is joining me on today's episode, Evan Damarell. Thank you for coming on the show. First of all, how are you doing on this second day of LeBron being a champion day. I'm doing great. I feel validated. He, if LeBron ever somehow listens to this or needs some validation, I promise you that uh, he has he has had my damn respect for a while now. But how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. Or I guess given all the circumstances, we it feels like it's been ten years already. Um, but. LeBron, I do hope you are listening to this podcast because we are giving you your damn respect. I've had his damn respect for a long time, but let's just jump right into it. Lakers beat the Miami Heat on Sunday. LeBron James wins his fourth title, his fourth finals MVP, his third finals MVP with a different franchise, and he is the first player in NBA history to do that. Which is funny because before the season, many people, including myself, picked the Clippers to win and talked about Kawhi being the first player to win finals MVP for three different franchises. It's just funny how after all that, after last year, from last year to this year and everything surrounding the season, Giannis is the best player in the league. It might be Kawhi. It was honestly to me, it was Kevin Durant at that point because Kevin Durant is probably the greatest score I've ever seen. And pre-Achilles, Kevin Durant was nasty in the playoffs and was playing like it. And then it ended up being Kawhi. But in the end, LeBron James once again proved that he is the best player in the NBA at age 35. And Evan, you said it in a tweet recently, but I mean, after 
Giannis got eliminated, after Kawhi got eliminated, it became pretty clear that LeBron James is still that dude. Yeah, no, he really he really is. And I know I was one of those people for a while, um, especially when Kawhi joined the Clippers and how impressive that run with the Raptors was and how impressive the Clippers looked in the regular season. And um, shout out to my buddy Ty Windish and a lot of the Bucks people I know just, you know, make me drink the Kool-Aid, believe in Milwaukee. But Mike Budenholzer once again proved me wrong. Um, hey, I drink the Kool-Aid too, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Like, I thought the Clippers and the Bucks were better than the Lakers just because of the way they're constructed. But hey he's the goat for a reason and i like you said i tweeted it i think after the clippers were eliminated where i said like i think it's time for us to change the narrative on the fact that uh lebron james still is the best player of the world and you know of all time in my opinion but for a while now like you had Giannis nipping at his heels you had Kawhi making a serious case to be the best player in the league and no, like you said, he's 35 years old. He's been doing this for almost two decades at this point, which is wild to think that I know. Um, Dude, his it, first fine his first finals in 2007, I was 14 years old. Oh golly, I was so was I. So it just it's been a while and like I was talking with my co-host at Locked On Cavs, Chris Manning, um like the Browns are 4 and 1 right now and we were 1 years old when that happened, but like I have been so spoiled as a sports fan to watch so many great basketball players, but even more so the fact that <clears throat> the team I root for and the team I cover in the Cavs, uh, LeBron is the player that, you know, has cemented his legacy with that team and he is that franchise's legacy. But no, it, these are unprecedented circumstances and people like to downplay the significance of winning in a bubble situation at Disney, but we'll get more into that in a little bit. But no, LeBron's re-cemented his case as the best player in the league and until somebody truly knocks him out um, of making the finals, because I can't even, t it's, I, I don't really count last season, but he's made so many finals at this point. He is four and six. So he's made 10 of them um, until a team knocks him out and keeps him out of reaching the finals. Whenever he's in the playoffs, like it, th there's no debate. He's the best player in the league and he's the greatest player of all time. And I, maybe he's starting to, hand the reins to Anthony Davis it's like an interesting narrative of what's going on with that and maybe we can talk about that a little bit too but until that actually happens maybe it's when AD takes on 23 and we get six Brown again but mm. it, it's just it's just weird to think like or not weird but like just surreal to say like I've witnessed the greatest player of my generation arguably of all time and he's still putting up like insane numbers and those deep heat check threes and everything that he's just become famous for. He's still consistently doing that performing on a consistent basis game and, in and game out. And it's not like, well, one, I agree with you too. I don't count last year. And by the way, the Lakers were the fourth seed in the Western conference before LeBron hurt his groin on Christmas yeah. day. So, and then they, by the time he came back, the Lakers were so out of it. It's so out of rhythm that you can't even, really count that season or hold that season against LeBron but I never I never thought LeBron didn't have a case to be the best player in the world it was just one of those things where he was clearly getting older and we saw especially like during the tail end of his time with the Cavs and I'm sure you you would ag agree to this we saw him take plays off for lack of a better phrase we saw him take plays off his defense wasn't what it used to be and you know it would 
it was legitimate to think, okay, this guy is obviously going to turn it on for the playoffs because nobody in their right damn mind, even even these last few years, I'd be like, if we're in the – I would say, if we're heading to the playoffs, give me LeBron over literally everybody, right? Uh, but during the regular season, you know, they, like there's – MVPs, there's MVP contenders like Giannis and Kawhi and James Harden, your usual suspects. But that brings me to an interesting point. And we'll talk about the GOAT stuff and the legitimacy of this NBA bubble championship, which I'm sure me and you, we know each other's thoughts on this. I I think the bubble championship is hard. But how the way we talk about best player in the world is interesting to me, especially these last few years, as LeBron has kind of warped our way of talking about talking about basketball, is that we have started to more and more delineate between regular season and playoffs. And my whole thing is, if to me, I guess I kind of grew up with an old school mindset of playoffs do matter and winning does matter to how great a basket or winning does add to how great a basketball player and his resume is. And not that we haven't devalued that at all. I just think over the years, you know, we've gotten more smarter with how we talk about basketball. But I think in our process of trying to out, uh, trying to think more and push the boundaries of how we think about the game, I think the value of playoffs and winning when we talk about all-time legacy is getting lost. And I just wonder... How do we rate best player in the world now? Is it best player during that particular season? Are we, you know, is it like a cumulative thing where we wait a few years? Because I've always had a top three of Katie, Steph, and LeBron when when healthy before, you know, Kawhi went on his run with the Raptors, obviously. Um, I still had Kawhi in my top ten, but... I look at them as more as tiers now and, you know, the tier one franchise players, there's different levels within those tiers, but basically tier one franchise players, tier one franchise players are the guys, guys you think, or guys you think you can win a championship with, or guys that you know, LeBron, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, et cetera, et cetera. And there's different levels within that tier, but then, you know, you move down my tiers, there's tier two, which is like the Jimmy Butler's of the world and people that are bordering on to tier one and et cetera, et cetera. But shouldn't we include the playoffs? Shouldn't we be including the playoffs? Because it feels like that hasn't been in the equation as much when we talk about best player in the world. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting to think. I think the tiers are a good way to put it. And I think LeBron and is in a clear tier one with Anthony Davis right behind him, maybe like a tier 1.5 or possibly tier two. And then, Anthony Davis, I think, is in the same place as the Kawhis, the Steph Curry's when healthy. Kevin Durant, I'm still I optimistic to say since he's he's such a fundamentally sound shooter that even after he ruptured his Achilles, that's not going to hinder his ability as an athlete in terms of shooting, but maybe his athleticism sapped a little bit from it. But right. you know, Brooklyn's going to be an interesting uh, team to observe from a distance. There's a lot of variables and factors going into play there, and um like you said you can't really like you have to factor in playoffs you have to factor in everything else and just like my point on the legitimacy of winning a title in this disney bubble it's not just the fact that 
LeBron wasn't really allowed to be around his family. I, I assume Savannah and maybe their daughter, but I know Bryce and Braun Jr. Because I mean, Bronny got caught smoking weed on IG Live, and <laughs> the, I'm the sorry, but the memes and jokes have been funny on that. I'm just I know say. He, he's, <laughs> I, that poor kid. Um, I know, yeah, it's it's it sucks for him, but uh, yeah. I, but you know, the memes are. I can't deny that the memes aren't funny. <laughs> oh, they're top tier for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. LeBron is playing under those circumstances and we know him as a family guy. He's really made it clear that he is hyper involved in his children's lives and super supportive of his wife. And he supports those around him, whether it's like, I mean, his best friend is Rich Paul is his agent. And he took a gamble on that by leaving CAA, like one of the most stable agencies in the NBA. And, you know, it's working out great because Rich Paul is now probably the most powerful agent in basketball. And so LeBron had to leave all that behind, but not only that, um, usually in the playoff situations like this, LeBron shuts off his Twitter. He shuts off his Instagram. He ignores all social media just to focus on the game of basketball. But with all everything going on in terms of social justice and civil rights, LeBron knew he couldn't shut off his platforms because he had to be an advocate for those who don't have a voice or those who don't have the platform that he's running. He's running a more than a, the the more than a vote initiative, which you have to be active to, you know, all while trying to win a championship. Like that's such a, an isolation. Yeah. And like people were critical of LeBron in the, I think it was the Western finals. So like he didn't show up, but it was like after the ruling in the Breonna Taylor case, like the NBA expected all these players to go out there and play and perform for, our entertainment nothing made me angrier than people acting like they're entitled to lebron giving a better performance but he's carrying the weight of the world quite literally on his shoulders since he was 16 yeah since he was 16 but like in his, in this year this year in his particular. career and this year in particular he's carrying an even heavier load and it's just incredible that he's able to shoulder all this and manage all of it and take care of even the kids in his i promise schools and everything else making sure them and their families are taken care of during the pandemic it it's just incredible what he does. And so that I maybe mean, you bring that to context as well, like just the sheer load LeBron had to carry while in Orlando. Um, and it's just it's just massive. And again, this Lakers team was missing a lot of key players. Avery Bradley was gone. Danny Green's shot disappeared. Um, Dwight Howard became useless. And so did JaVale McGee as the playoffs moved along. Like a lot of these players that LeBron came to rely on during the regular season. It became a, like a seven, eight man, maybe rotation real quick. Yeah, I mean, jokes aside, like I love Dion Waiters, I love J.R. Smith, but they weren't going to be useful players for this Lakers squad. It was basically LeBron, Anthony Davis, and then ex- appearances from Alex Caruso, maybe Danny Green making a shot every now and then, and then Kyle Kuzma if he's able to like really lock in. But like you said, it was a seven-eight man rotation, and mostly it was big guys, and that's fundamentally against what is the current trend in today's nba like the rockets tried to get cute with it and like gave the lakers some trouble for a minute when they were playing for that game one (laughs) yeah playing a bunch of small forwards and i don't know i have a lot of buddies who are lakers fans who weren't really like know what the lebron experience the playoff lebron experience is like and i'm like he might they your team might drop a game or two but that's probably a feel-out game because lebron's while the rest there's laker fans in cleveland no (laughs) Well, just on a national stage, and there's people I know who that are LeBron fans too. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. But um, it's just like, yeah, no, LeBron's playing chess, and he's usually three steps ahead because he's feeling you out. All the rest of the his opponents are playing checkers, and it's just incredible because 
his mind is the strongest asset, and that's one thing that will never dull or slow down with time. And I think even if his athleticism starts to escape him, LeBron's such a cerebral player that it's going to keep him in the conversation as the best player in the league, even probably until he retires. And even then, he could be like a second or third fiddle for whatever power team he forms in the Lakers or wherever he ends up next. You know what's funny is that you're saying all of this, and I'm just nodding my head like, yeah, because I just assume it's going to happen because LeBron James is just – that incredible. I mean, it's it's insane to me that in year 17, <clears throat> I think we talked about it on the last pod. You hopped on, uh, you know, my podcast uh, way, way back during the during the stoppage. And I was telling you that while 2013 Braun was the best Braun of his career uh, and one of the most probably the most dominant force ever. Uh, mm-hmm. most dominant season ever uh, maybe a few Mike seasons in there this season was my favorite LeBron season for a number of reasons one of which is um, he destroyed whatever remaining bullshit narratives he had going against him left in his career you would think after winning three championships and one of which holds I'm sure is held near and dear to your heart. The 2016 finals came back from a 3-1 deficit against the greatest regular season team of all time. You would think that everything would be squashed after that, but he still had to get rid of the, oh, he can only win in the, or he can only win in the East narrative as if no other great, as if every other great player in the East apparently can make it to just 10 straight finals, right? Or eight straight finals. And he can't win in the West, goes over to the West, they're the fourth seed last year, gets hurt, and that's why they get knocked out of the playoffs. This year, they win the damn championship. So mm. I don't want to hear any more of that because the narrative was stupid when it started. Me and my friends would argue about it all the time growing up, or you know, growing well, I guess growing up, high school and then early college. Like, oh, we can only win in the West when he had like a damn near 63% win, win percentage against Western Conference teams for his entire career. Mm-hmm. It was just they only played Western Conference teams twice a year. So, OK, fine. He played in a weaker conference and played more of the weaker teams more often. LeBron James still dominated the Western Conference opponents. And then he goes over to the West and actually dom- he. No, I don't think people realize the West was really stacked this year, like oh, yeah. more than usual. There were there was a reason like four different fucking teams were competing for the eighth seed before the stoppage. And then we had to have a play in game for the eighth seed in the West. The Lakers went doing the math of my head. They went 12 and three through the West, through the uh, Western conference playoffs like that. I, I believe so. Yeah. I think they only lost. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they beat the Blazers four one. They cleaned the Rockets four one and game five. That was just, that was just a spectacle because Russell Westbrook was just embarrassing himself, <laughs> quite frankly. And LeBron yeah. was just laughing. It's, it's a shame. <laughs> yeah. And um, then they beat the Nuggets 4-1. And then they beat the so. Nuggets 4-1. And that was actually a very fun five-game series. Um, it but was. The Lakers dominated the Western Conference, the vaunted Western Conference that LeBron James was scared to go to, that he couldn't win out of. And I'm sounding like Shannon Sharp on Undisputed right now, but I just, I've only rooted against LeBron once, and that was 2011, and that was purely because of the, I didn't like the spectacles after the decision, the whole, the whole, 
you know, concert and Bosh, mm-hmm. Wade, and LeBron rising out of the rising out of the stage at a preseason concert. I thought that was corny, and also oh, I wanted I wanted Dirk to win his first ring, so I had my own reasons also on top of that. But I've always been a LeBron fan, and so just the fact that he destroyed that West narrative decides in year 17 I'm gonna lead the league in assists for the first time in my life just because I can like it's it just shows one like you said he's a mastermind of the game and Kevin O'Connor brought this up in a ringer piece uh after the finals or he's actually mentioned this a few times in his recent ringer pieces but LeBron James has an incredible basketball mind and his playmaking is never gonna go away as long as he is has as that size that handle and that IQ, his game is going to age fine. Yeah, you we might. I think his shot has obviously deteriorated. I think last year I pointed it out, but he started taking flat foot jump shots like a lot. Um, and I think his shot has it changed a bit this year, but it's still re- it's not what it used to be in Cleveland, in Miami, and his second stint in Cleveland. Um, but in terms of his overall game, that he's. Until until proven otherwise, I'm just going to take out regular season. Until proven otherwise, like LeBron is a special placeholder. He's the best player in the world. And then, like you said, until somebody knocks him out of the finals or the Western or their own damn conference first, that mm-hmm. there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No qualifiers. Oh, if it's the playoffs, I would take LeBron like I was doing last year. No, it's full stop. He's the best player in the world still, and we missed we missed the boat on that. We missed we were wrong about that. No, I absolutely agree, and I think him going to the West. I know I like to joke about it and say at least last year because the Lakers were. Must see TV for all the wrong reasons. Um, he, when he was in the East, you know, that, that narrative did get tiring after a while. But even then, like, t- people try to find excuses saying, like, oh, this Raptor squad is going to knock out LeBron. Or, oh, these Atlanta Hawks teams are going to be the, the, the foil in LeBron's path. Or, oh, the Boston Celtics, while he was with Miami, are going to be a problem. Like, part of the reason why he went to Miami is he didn't know how to win and beat Boston like that was his biggest monkey on his back and like we all yep. we all know the meme like the game six Boston LeBron where he like is staring down the t- the Celtics and like you knew they were dead in the water and mm-hmm. his last year with Cleveland um was just a triumph in itself that Indiana team almost had Cleveland on the ropes and almost knocked them out in the first round and LeBron was gonna <laughs> finally you know break a streak where he has never lost a first round series which in itself is insane to think that every time well he won a game seven on the road in Boston and granted it yeah. was it was in in the conference finals and granted that was a young young Boston team you're winning it's a game seven on the road and I don't have to talk to you about the supporting cast that was crafted around him after that huge trade they made that year or the trades they made at the deadline but Jeff Green was still there and Jeff Green (laughs) balled out that game I have nothing I have nothing but love for Jeff Green because he was oh yeah as tumultuous as that Cavs team was besides LeBron and, you know, Kevin Love when he wasn't being hounded by Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade, like Jeff Green was consistently Cleveland's third or fourth best player, which is saying a lot Yeah, that year. But no, um, even going to that game seven, I will share this with you in full confidence. Like there may have been some people that were hesitant in what they expected Cleveland to do. Like maybe they thought the Cavs were going to lose, but I think the consensus, at least amongst people I wrote right with or, just fans in general like we knew 
that the Cavs are going to beat Boston in seven because LeBron oh, yeah. has had their number for such a long time, and he just he knows what it takes to win, and he will will a team to victory no matter the odds. And well, I mean, that's incredible in itself too. And after he beat the Warriors, how could you not have confidence in him? at any point like going into that game seven I was like LeBron's gonna I don't care how close the game is I know LeBron's gonna pull it out and that's mm -hmm. just that's just the full faith I have in it but I, I'm sorry I interrupted you no no you're fine um it's just it's just an interesting so like yeah no he goes to the Western Conference I joked at first it's so he could you know make movies in Space Jam 2 or other things he dabbles in all of his business ventures he has in Los Angeles and greater California area like that was a joke but I my biggest point and it's actually like one of my best performing articles I ever wrote at Forbes I think it has a couple hundred thousand like clicks just because I dropped it the day LeBron and the Lakers first came back to Cleveland and the Lakers were doing okay but they weren't they weren't playing up to the expectations of a LeBron James led team and the Cavs actually took them to the wire that night but this is before the game I just said if the Lakers went is more or less the premises LeBron shouldn't have left Cleveland because the Lakers aren't going to cater to him. And that was my biggest argument against the Lakers at the time is this. Of course, the selling point was like, we're going to supplement him with playmaking young players. So he doesn't have to play at 110% all the time. Like, no, when you have LeBron James, the pressure is to win a championship. Now it's not to win a championship eventually. And then the Lakers mm -hmm. wisened up and sold the farm for Anthony Davis. And clearly it worked out. And I know, I talked about this a little bit before, but like Anthony Davis said, he loves his time in LA and he's had a great first year. Like I, I fully expect him to re-up with the Lakers and I fully expect him and LeBron maybe to win another championship or two. Oh, the Lakers then, can retool pretty easily. Yeah. It's actually, oh, yeah. they could get better next year. Like they're one players or one, I think they have, they have a few uh, exceptions they could use obviously. And then mm -hmm. they'll just have veterans flocking to them. Like, I don't know if you saw Danilo Gallinari's comments uh, yeah, yesterday. Like Gallo could be a but, Laker. They yeah. Guys like Danny that Green, who are Kyle good, Kuzma. but, but, guys like that who are good but don't necessarily want a big contract and just want to win at that point in their careers the yeah. lakers are going to be fine next year no they absolutely will and like i'm crunching the numbers right now but i think the lakers have 17 million in cap space heading into this offseason because of all the one-year deals they sign players to and um yep. I think a trade that does work on paper is like Kyle Kuzma might not be long for LA. I think he's going to become kind of redundant, but like a trade that works is they honestly could trade Kevin Love for Danny Green and Ky yeah, no, it's a, it's a workable trade. Like Kevin Love could be a Laker easily. If they just, the Lakers send Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green's easily replaceable because Caruso's really stepped up as a defensive player. And if Avery Bradley comes back, you swap Caruso for green and then you run out next year with a lineup of green Bradley, lebron and then you could play kevin love with the four because anthony davis is best suited at the five for them like that yeah good luck and then there's other stuff you could do too like the lakers can get really creative this offseason and trade for a third star to you know just completely push them over the edge and like cement themselves as a dynasty franchise which is scary to think about and um i will I say know. i it, will i know the nba is happy with like power being in balance the balance of power being restored to a major uh legacy franchise like la and it was balanced well i think in general i think the nba is happy with the balance that has been displayed across the league this year especially mm -hmm. after the warriors super team and kevin durant leaving and now we basically have all these teams with two stars like obviously you, you think of houston i think 
if Jamal Murray can keep his you keep the form that he had from the playoffs uh it going into next year and can actually shoot like a good shooter instead of looking like a good shooter from three during the regular season then I think you have two star you have a two star one two punch in Denver you got Houston you got the fraudulent Clippers I will still put <laughs> them in there um then of course if they hey if the Clippers hire do the right thing and hire Ty Lue I think he is going to end up taking that job if all things considered yeah i wouldn't call him as fraudulent because ty would make the rotations or the changes and adjustments and he would know how to push the buttons of paul george and oh yeah i'm, I'm just you know edge. i'm just here for yeah. jokes i know, I know. <laughs> but we'll talk about ty Lue later actually because uh, i have a few questions about that but um I guess we've went 27 minutes talking about LeBron and we're probably going to do more, but let's shift to the finals and the bubble as a whole. But first I want to talk about the finals itself. And obviously it was a disappointing run for the heat and And your Sixers. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. I just wanted to have a good day today. And then you had to bring that up. (laughs) But I guess, hey, I, guess that, I guess that I guess hey, coach I guess uh, I guess uh, the Sixers are connected to Jimmy Butler, so we have to talk about it. But I th- this was a great season for the Heat, and obviously, and I was high on the Heat, not high on the Heat like Zach Lowe was or somebody like that before the season started. But I liked the players that they had, um, minus you know I didn't know Duncan Robinson was going to be that like you know best non-splash brother shooter in the nba (laughs) good and you know key player right like Mm -hmm. because i've seen some of these players during the summer league i saw duncan robinson i was like man this uh, at the at the california classic uh at golden one center and i was like man this guy could really shoot but his movement and just the heat just put on an incredible impressive performance is what I'm trying to encapsulate here. And I just want to shout them out because they beat a Boston team that I think has more talent, maybe not the more cohesive team. They beat the bucks who were on pace at one point for 70 wins, but I mean, notably had their number this regular season, the heat did and Jimmy Butler to circle it all back unfortunately proved himself that he could be the guy on a championship team and for him to go toe-to-toe with LeBron in the finals and to win two games with the injuries that he had losing possibly the Heat's best player or most important player and then losing Goran Dragic who at stretches during these playoffs was probably the Heat's best player it just it it, it was a rough ending, but Jimmy Butler was one of the winners, obviously, that came out of this bubble, even though he might not feel like one right now and never will. I just think he finally he got his respect. I don't know what happened with him and the Sixers, really. I don't think anybody knows. There's disputes of over whether they offered him the fifth year on the deal or not. There's conflicting reports over that. Uh, the front office reportedly only wanted to sign him if they felt like they could control him. And you know Jimmy Butler's not going to roll with that. Um, But through Chicago, Minnesota, and now the Sixers, he has basically slapped all those franchises right in the face and was like, look at me now, I'm in the finals. And just shout out to the Heat. 
Oh, huge shout out to the Heat. They are. I like to dunk on them and make fun of fans for saying that Heat culture really is such this, you know, pertinent thing that you know just trumps all and just completely surpasses everything but jimmy butler was a player that is tailor made for miami and i have heard from like my league sources that i think jimmy's frustration was with brett brown more than anything but more so he was just impressed with yeah the treatment that Dwayne wade got in his retirement ceremony and he wanted that kind of love and i think he was completely sold on the heat culture thing like miami has they're an interesting case study because like you said like after lebron leaves they kind of tread water and they're on this treadmill of mediocrity granted it doesn't help that chris bosh develops blood clots and that just ends his career there like that's that was a sneaky case. what if of that of yeah. that decade that's a sneaky what if um them lowing but lowballing Dwayne wade and burning bridges with him and having him go to chicago wasn't a good thing but you know Dwayne Wade's agent's funeral uh, mended fences, and that's what got him traded to Cleveland for disgustingly a couple second round from Cleveland to Miami for a couple second round picks. And no, the Heat are uh, they're back too. And again, that's a good thing for the NBA because Miami is. I don't like to say big markets or small markets. I'm gonna ape off a phrase uh, my buddy Carter Rodriguez says. Like these are just um, destination markets. Like athletes would like to flock to Miami. They'd like to flock to New York. They like to flock to Los Angeles because of the things that it offers them versus, you know, Oh, they can make the most money or they get the most. Yes. Those are factors as well. But like the lifestyle of living in those locations are a lot more ideal. When you look at places like Cleveland, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, but I don't know. Giannis is an interesting case. Maybe he stays loyal to the bucks, but jumping back to Miami, like they have developed a lot of their talent, like Duncan Robinson, huge triumph for them. Tyler Johnson is another example. He's no longer with the team, like great player development. Bam Adebayo, what, no one expected this from him. Even John Calipari, like they interviewed him when Bam was having that tear through the Eastern finals. And he said like, no, I didn't even see this coming. Like, even though Bam Adebayo was raw as hell in his rookie year, I yeah. already wanted him to start over Whiteside because I was over Whiteside. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are over Whiteside and damn those Blazer fans who tried to, uh, mock Tra- chastise us <laughs> or well, no, ch- that or mock hassan whiteside to cleveland to get kevin love and i'm like you're giving me <laughs> like five cents for like a hundred dollar player here folks <laughs> but um and it completely redundant when you look at cleveland's roster as well especially after the trade for andre drummond but miami yeah no they were just a gutty team like they made milwaukee look foolish i think mike boonholes are resting on his laurels of the regular season like he does every time he makes the playoffs was a huge mistake. It happened against Toronto last year. It mm-hmm. happened against Cleveland so many times when he was coaching Atlanta. It happened this year for the Bucks with Miami. And then Milwaukee committing to him long-term still, I think is incredibly foolish for the Bucks to do. And I think, you know, me too. Miami has made themselves a premier destination because they have a fun young, they have a fun team with Jimmy Butler, who I always thought was a good player, but never could be like the guy who leads a team. And like, he may not even be Miami's best player. Like you could say Bam is Miami's best player. And let's say the heat bring in God willing. Let's just use Giannis as the example, because he's the player most linked to the Miami heat at this point. Like Jimmy would easily be the third best player, but he is their best cultural leader. And I think that's a huge thing for them. And I think this Miami team is tight as hell and um, they get along and like, no, just a lot of smart drafting, a lot of smart player movements. And I think, like I've spoken to coaches on Cleveland staff and they've told me straight up like, yeah, no, we've taken a lot of pages out of Miami's book on stuff we want to do in terms of just being a smart defensive team. And it also helps that Eric Spolster is the best coach in the league too. Let's make that clear as well. But it's him or Nick nurse. 
yeah, Hammer Nick Nurse, which again, two teams Giannis is linked to. Um, <laughs> it's just Miami is such a sound organization. Toronto has become such a sound organization. Like that stability at the top, and then you're able to get players that produce consistent success, like they have. Like it's endearing to see. It's fascinating to see. And and as a Sixer fan, infuriating yeah. to see. <laughs> no, it is. But hey, you know, I'm not the biggest Doc Rivers fan. I think him refusing to pull Montrez Harrell and not play Zubach more would have been the difference maker against the Nuggets. And maybe it's still crazy to think he's blown so many leads in his career. And I think maybe because the Celtics are a legacy franchise and he's the last coach to win a championship with Boston, we hold him in a different view, but I think he'll be able to produce consistent. He'll, yeah. He'll I think Doc, I think Doc's this. a good coach. It's like what Kyle Newbeck of Philly voice said in a recent piece he did I think Doc Rivers is a good – no, it might have been Rich – it was Rich Hoffman of The Athletic, but I think it was – he described it, and it was kind of apt. It was Doc Rivers is a really good coach who has a plan A and doesn't deviate from his plan A often, which mm-hmm. that is a concern for me, but I think Doc Rivers is a fine coach, and if you're talking yeah. about – or a fine hire, I think the debate between Ty Lu and Doc Rivers is – what like – I would have liked Ty Lu, but I think Ty Lu and Doc Rivers have the same are uh, is the same hire in the sense that the Sixers were looking for a coach. One, it seemed like their priority was we're looking for a coach that could hold Ben and Joel accountable, and um, i.e. Ben not shooting threes even after his coach publicly calls him out to do it. And Joel and B finally get it in shape. Maybe Doc Rivers yeah. is the oh, guy. No. He has the cachet. He's 21 years, players coach, has coached all these Hall of Famers, and has one championship to show for it. And the Celtics run with that 12 years later still. <laughs> Shout out Paul yeah. Pierce. Um, but I think uh, I think it is a fine hire. Um, no, and whether if, if the Sixers did hire Ty Lue, like you mentioned, Joel getting in shape. Uh, Joel would never be in shape under Ty because the Cavs never practiced under Ty Lue. They just watched film and then just hung out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine I imagine uh yeah, I imagine Doc Rivers practices will be a little bit more strenuous, more strenuous. than yeah. uh than normal. But I think it's a fi- I think it's a fine hire. My whole problem is and we'll get back to LeBron in the finals, I promise. Just one quick thing. My problem is this Sixers front office is still making decisions and they need to go. Adrian Wojnarowski yeah. reported that looming changes were coming and Elton Brand was going to make those decisions. And I knew nothing was going to happen the minute I read that because you can't hire Elton Brand to be this meat shield that doesn't really make GM decisions and then all of a sudden give him power to fire people that have had power over him. That dynamic Mm -hmm. is weird. And I don't know why Sixers ownership, Josh Harris and uh, Dave Blitzer, I don't know why ownership group runs shit the way that they do, but it's the same stuff. It was the power struggle between, um, it was a power struggle between Doug Collins and Rod Thorne. They hire Sam Hinkie, and they have a they have a tanking plan. Sixers ownership gets cold feet. They abandon it. They bring in Adam Silver to bring in Jerry Colangelo. We know the whole story behind that. Then, in the arguably the most important summer in the franchise's history, the 2018 summer, Brian Colangelo gets fired. Uh, 
for me, I liked the I liked the decision because I thought Colangelo was actually a bad GM during his time in Philadelphia. They fire yeah. they fire Colangelo. You interview Justin Zanuck, Garrison Rosas. You interview a Warriors front office person. And guess where I like this fire keep going, keep going. I can tell you're getting heated. Like you hire the war, you hire the Warriors front office. You are you're interviewing Justin Zanuck, Garrison Rosas, a Warriors front office person. You're interviewing, so you're targeting the right people. But then think about this, Evan. If you have a if you have a dream job, something you've been striving to work for your entire life, such as an NBA general manager position, one of thirty positions in the sport. Imagine being told when you're interviewing for one of these jobs that you have to work with a failed staff from the previous regime that got fired because of damn twitter burner accounts how much sense does that make how do you run any normal business like that i don't know he yeah the sixers are fascinating like yeah fascinating um, for a lot of reasons that are wrong mostly yeah i mean I joke with you a lot. I joke with people a lot. Like the Cavs make the headlines for all the wrong reasons because they hired a senile coach who called his players thugs and his players viewed him as a racist after that point and like so many other things that go wrong. But like the Cavs have just found their, hopefully found their structural or their front office stability under Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman. And I, I fully firmly believe in JB Bickerstaff as the coach, but I don't know. Maybe Elton Brand was being hamstrung by the people around him because I think didn't the Sixers like clean house? A oh no, Elton Brand him? admitted he was hamstrung in his first. That's that's the crazy thing. So then you go and hire Elton Brand, whose prior GM experience was being the GM of the Delaware of the Delaware Eighty Seventers at the time. Now the Blue Coats for like what a year? That was his prior general manager experience. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you took on Elton Brand because he is the only guy who would who was crazy enough to accept these insane insane circumstances. And then this after this season ended, after the Sixers got swept with the Frankenstein ugly roster that they put together, Elton Brand admitted that he didn't have the authority as most GMs do to make decisions in those first in uh not only in uh last season. So. The most important yeah. summer in the franchise's history, and you're giving somebody GM powers who doesn't really have GM powers, and you're giving it to a failed staff that has been making bad decisions that has led up to this point. Ugh. <sighs> anyway, I I'm feel sorry. It, man. No, it's all good. We'll get back to LeBron in a second, but I always need to ask you how you're feeling about your Sixers, and I... Hearing it's you talk terrible about it because, is different than you texting me about it. <laughs> it's terrible because we have two clearly talented players that are, by the way, not the problem. And no, the offensive fit isn't perfect, but it's fine. Shut up. They need to build. They need to put shooters around it, around Simmons and Embiid. They need to put some damn guards. How do you, the NBA has more guards than ever? It's very clear that scoring off the dribble is more valued than ever. How do we not have? Anybody that could dribble, or I would take Garrett Temple. I will take Shabazz Napier. If we just had a one other ball handler besides six months of Jimmy Butler and three years of TJ McConnell, the Sixers would have been deeper in the playoffs than they already were. But now we're gonna blame Simmons and Embiid for being this terrible fit. Oh, they don't like each other, and I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how much you've gleaned from it with your with your league sources, but I think the relationship is fine. I think they like yeah. playing together. Together, but the roster has been bad for years and you 
like the sick like um I actually I think I I saw a tweet from uh your buddy Justin Rowan actually. So he he tweeted I think it was a month or two months ago talking about Simmons and Embiid. Like, yeah, the fit might not be perfect or whatever, but you take the talent where you can get it and you build around it. And the Sixers are in an unenviable position where post play is dying, but Joel Embiid makes it efficient and scoring off the, a guard scoring off the dribble in the half court is at that premium. But the problem is Ben Simmons can't shoot off the dribble or score off the dribble. So what do you do? You adjust. You put other players around him that fit. Bam doesn't shoot threes. He can bear. He just started adding that a uh, free throw foul line jumper this year, and he and it's still kind of inconsistent. Jimmy Butler's three point shot has disappeared. But what do the Heat do? They have Tyler Hero. They have Duncan Robinson. They have Jay Crowder. They have Andre Iguodala, a smart, savvy defense. They they know how to build a team around their two mm-hmm. best players, and it's mm-hmm. infuriating to me. <laughs> and we're going to trade Simmons and one of those two probably in the next 24 months because the Sixers are too stupid to know how to build around these two. Hey, man, listen, Darius Garland will look really nice in a Sixers uniform and I'll treat <laughs> Ben Simmons with so much love and care when he comes here. I mean, Darius Garland and Kevin Love. Will well, if he did, if Ben uniform. Simmons did somehow go to the Cavs, I guess I could take solace in that. And knowing that you and Chris I, and somehow all the other Cavs people I've uh, run into my life are happy. So uh, <laughs> it, it's never going to happen. Um, oh but, yeah, no, but you know, if, 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 you know, um, Okay, two, enough Sixers. Let's go back to LeBron real quick, and then we'll talk about the bubble and then, uh, you know, the prospects of next season. LeBron James, the GOAT conversation, and I hate to be, you know, the 10 millionth thousandth person, whatever fake number I could come up with in my head to, co- to come in with a take about the GOAT debate, but, you know, I've been thinking over the last few years – I'm one of the few millennials who would put Jordan over LeBron. And I think Jordan still has some cases to be the greatest player of all time. But, you know, all my friends who have known me my whole life or are listening to this podcast or probably get a text me after they hear this. But LeBron's the greatest player of all time. And yeah, and I uh, feel that way, too. What? I'm glad you feel that way, too. Yeah, LeBron's the greatest player of all time. I've been thinking about it and how much I've just been in awe of what LeBron has done basically since I've been in college and you know I'd always defend LeBron but you know somehow use roundabout I found myself without realizing it using roundabout arguments to make a case against LeBron that would work against Jordan and stuff like that and also just the simple fact that as Kevin O'Connor said LeBron James is still writing his legacy, which is insane to say because I didn't think I thought he could win one more with the Lakers. I thought he could get one with the Lakers, not this soon. And them, uh, them getting a lottery pick last year, the number four pick to trade to New Orleans, that was a lifesaver for them because Anthony Davis does not happen. So it's a stroke of luck, too. But Mm -hmm. Now the window's open. The luck happened. The window's open. I think LeBron, like you said, I think there could be a dynasty here. But it's oh, even with this four, even with this fourth realistic. ring, he's the greatest player of all time. He's been to ten straight finals, and I think you could at any from any angle of the argument you could use. Which player would you start your franchise around? 
all time historically, I would take LeBron James, um, yeah, who is the best player yeah. in the world, who is the best player in the league for a long time. Or was it Le- Le- LeBron or Michael? Well, now it's, Le- it's LeBron. He's been the best player in the league since what, 2010? 2009 maybe i would say 2010 because i got i thought kobe reached a point with the championships and his pedigree and stuff like that i thought he was the best player but after 2010 lebron took that man but 2010 lebron took that mantle but you could argue even going back to 2009 like my point is lebron james has had a clear long stretch where he is the best player in the nba and i think at this point the only arguments michael jordan has is if like I was going back to earlier, which is the same argument I used for LeBron to make his case as the best player in the world. In the playoffs, isolation scoring is the most valuable thing you can have. In the regular season, we talk yeah. about spacing, shooting, and ball movement and player movement. That's We saw that water get shut off quick in the playoffs. So you need an isolation score. We've seen this example over and over again. And Michael Jordan is the singular best player at that, at isolation scoring. So... That would be one case for him to be the greatest player of all time. The other is his peak. And I think his peak is a little bit better than LeBron's because, again, not only was Michael Jordan a great scorer, a great defender, he was also a great rebounder for his position and also a good passer when he didn't want, when he did trust his teammates and Phil Jackson got in his ass about passing to teammates and, and, and stuff like that. But, and I'm not saying LeBr- Michael Jordan doesn't have a case at all. I'm just saying, for me personally, I'm taking LeBron in any yeah. context of the conversation. If you're asking me who I would want to take the final shot, even though LeBron's clutch stats to me have clutch talk, all that to me has been completely wrong and overblown, I would still take Michael. Even though LeBron is clutch in in his own his own right, I want to make that clear. I would be fine with either of those two options. But I think in terms of just pure isolation scoring and then being able to create out of that, I would take Michael in that situation. But other than that, I th- the, the crazy thing is, like, we hold his longevity against him. Like, his, oh, he has science, technology, it, the medical stuff is better. Well, then why aren't there many other 35-year-olds doing this? Well, I guess Chris Paul, but Chris Paul isn't LeBron, yeah. but... Just it's, Chris Paul's it's, also like a weird example because he's this season with Oklahoma City still feels like a bit of an anomaly and it does. I am hesitant for teams that like let's say the Knicks or the Bucks do or trade the Sixers. for Chris Paul um, or the Sixers. I feel like this year is one an anomaly and two uh, one uh, small guards worry me. Isaiah Thomas with his yeah. injury is a great example of this. Where like once their athleticism and their abilities gone, it's really gone. It's like one of those um, things where Chris the, Paul's year, yeah. season this year you want to watch carefully for because yeah like, like he was already Chris, in that danger zone age-wise. Yeah. No, it, it's interesting, but sorry I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I was just saying that either way you slice it, all the excuses you put up, like I don't care. Like you can't hold LeBron's sustained peak against him. To me, this adds to it. Like – he is doing something that really only Kareem has done, which is still be one of the five most important players in the league at age 35. LeBron, in his case, being the best player in the world like and still holding that title and going to 10 straight finals. And I realized this in my finals argument. 
finals arguments and Super Bowl arguments are completely different, but because basketball, one player can disproportionately impact a game compared to other sports. But it's some it's something similar because I'm a Niner fan and my dad hates it whenever I say Brady is the GOAT because Brady has been to nine Super Bowls, which is literally half of his career or just about half of his career over Joe Montana. You can imagine the arguments I have with my dad and granddad. Um mm-hmm. Even though I, myself, am a third-generation Niner fan, I'm just like, dude, the guy's been to nine Super Bowls. And they're like, oh, well, he's lost three. And I'm just like, I don't care. I Like, is being eliminated before the Super Bowl better than, you know, losing in the Super Bowl? And, you know, I think you got to take finals records with context, obviously, like with everything. Like, 2011, black mark on LeBron's career. I think that's no question to me um especially going back and watching that series over the summer when i did my mavs video um for the sly hooper youtube channel um just how the way lebron just i hate to be skip bayless when i say this but shrank in like in game four in game five game six like towards the back end of that series and just how bad he struggled and how he couldn't take jj barea in the post like that was bad. But like mm-hmm. things like 27 the war the two years he lost to the Kevin Durant Warriors or the 2007 Spurs, I'm not going to hold that against him. Th- those teams were clearly better and LeBron did his best. LeBron was bad in the Spurs series, but LeBron was also 22 fucking years old, right? Yeah. Like I'm not yeah, going to yeah. hold that against him. But I'm sorry. This is my long-winded way of saying that I am one of the millennials that has finally come around um even though probably honestly i've been thinking it the last two years and i just didn't want to you know admit that i was wrong but lebron's the goat yeah no i it's an interesting discussion and i think i still think lebron is the greatest player of all time but i also have this mentality especially after kobe bryant passed away that maybe you really shouldn't debate who is the best or who is greater but like lebron is making a case for him being one of the all-time like there's still doubts and skepticism about how is he truly a great player or not like i think you're an idiot if you do that but like (laughs) i think um i just appreciate greatness more like i never got to watch michael firsthand i was too young to really have any formative memories of watching michael jordan play and like i really didn't get space jam basketball yeah space jam but um i didn't get too too interested in basketball until lebron was drafted by the Cavs. like that's when my fanhood started started to form and then it just ran with it after that but like i also got to witness kobe bryant play and like again we're spoiled as sports fans to say that we witnessed two of the all-time greats play and there's not even those two there's tim duncan as well there is kevin durant there's dirk there's steph curry there's so many talented players that i've got to witness in my lifetime that like sure not a lot of these players could be considered the greatest ever but they're all champions they're all memorable in their own unique ways and, and they're all ways. they all are going to have a footnote in history exactly the like they're all hall of famers they're all going to have a footnote in history like it's just insane to like think like how a lot of these players also played like a key and vital role in reshaping and the fundamental values of what the nba is like steph curry as well i don't think i mentioned steph curry like steph curry completely changed the league and making it a three ball dominant league and now maybe we're seeing an offensive shift in miami with like bam Adebayo being a playmate um with jokic and bam Adebayo, jokic bam Adebayo, marcus all ad um even you know just like players like big men who are able to stretch the floor and also make 
like act as tertiary or secondary playmakers like Joel can do it as well. Like he's another example too. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the next offensive evolution. And maybe we're going to start seeing the return of the big men being big man being relevant again. And like, you know, small ball still being a thing, but if you have a big man who isn't a complete and total liability on the perimeter, like that's, that's a pretty big. Yeah. It seems itself. like either now you, I hate to reference Kevin O'Connor for a third time, but I love his work, so I'm going to keep referencing it. And he had an article the other day that was talking about big man saying, you either have to be a special big man or a specialist. And I think that's the way the league is also going right now. Um, I think – I wouldn't say shooting's oversaturated now, but I think, like you mentioned, there is a next pivot point from all this shooting. And I think – the big man is certainly a way because the Lakers show that they could win with size. Although I think it's size with skill more than anything, because oh, yeah. by like halfway a, through a the Miami series, by like halfway through the Miami series, I was like, take Dwight Howard out of the starting lineup. The games they lost, they got off the slow starts offensively. And it was very clear why LeBron just didn't have enough space to operate. And AD didn't want to go to the five, but when Frank Vogel did go put AD at the five, they were, obviously fine you know but it's about having that big that could do everything and stuff like and and things of that nature which is why Giannis to the heat is fast Giannis potentially going to the heat is fascinating because it's like well what do they do well how do they make a Bam Giannis front court work or do they have to choose one over the other when Bam's a rookie uh or if they're gonna possibly hold up the BAM to- uh, contract extension talks because of a potential Giannis coming to uh, Miami or them holding cap space over. It's it's just fascinating how the league's going to evolve. One more thing before we move on. LeBron's final uh, LeBron's finals stats averages. 30 point, awesome. 30.2 points per game. 11.4 rebounds per game. 8.2 assists per game. On 58% shooting from the field, 45% from three, 71% from the line, but that was his only blemish. And I just want to say, I just want to say that year thir- year 17, 35 years old, <laughs> fourth Finals MVP. Yeah, sorry, he's the greatest player of all time. And uh, I don't care if boomers get mad about it. All right, so the NBA bubble itself. And I'm sure you talked. I'm sure you've talked to people around the league about the bubble, and yeah. and uh, I'm sure there were fears and apprehension, very understandably so. When this thing started, we had a few positive COVID tests before training camps started and got rolling. We had a few. We had some protocol viable. Dwight Howard, in particular. And I don't even want to get into Dwight Howard, um, but you know, mask violations for Dwight Howard. Yeah, the whole da- unfortunate Daniel House fiasco in the playoffs. But other than that, zero COVID test, which is the most important thing during the season. And it was an unequivocal success. Unequivocal success. Yeah, I said that right. It was an unequivocal success for the league. And when you look at leagues like baseball who had a COVID outbreak during their season, the NFL's having to push games around. There's an NFL game tonight on a Tuesday night. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very clear. The NBA was the clear example on this and they were the, they were the flag bearers, so to speak for this, for this bubble. And it was a huge success. No, it was absolutely a huge success. Just in terms of COVID, like it's been 
so long that this whole experience and experiment, if you really want to call it that, went away and there were zero positive tests. Um, even the Cavs, who were part of the Delete Eight and you know, weren't invited to Orlando, had their own local in-house bubble in Cleveland where they – I love that that's up. a nickname, by the way. Oh, I love it, and I'm glad that it stuck too because I wasn't one of the first people who said it. I think I was speaking to Brad Rowland when he shared it with me, and Brad Rowland was one of the first people I heard say it. So, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. But um, it's been an interesting time for sure. Uh, it's weird to think like – I firmly believe Kyrie Irving was right that the fear that uh, the immediate the fear that the media attention the media the attention the media was giving to the civil rights movement that was going on before this Orlando bubble went underway really did come true and I think a lot of people who said this is Kyrie being Kyrie legitimately owe him an apology because that is the case absolutely I, I, I applaud the Bucks and I applaud all the other teams who refused to play. Um, in the midst of the bubble just you know to make their voices be heard and i hope something good comes from this because there's an excellent piece on the ringer about how nba owners uh especially dan gilbert and especially the pistons owner because a lot of stuff's coming to light about him recently are huge republican donors and backers and mm-hmm. i'm glad players use your voice to try and produce fundamental change so it's not like the nba is trying to polish a turd as much as it can until you realize it's still shit because the nba is only progressive as far as it doesn't affect their checkbooks that's that's kind of always been my standpoint on the nba especially when the whole china thing came to light but like i thought this was a step in the right direction but i'm glad the players are seizing the momentum to make their voices be heard because that's all they want to hear yeah is to be heard and like i spoke with jb bickerstaff and he told me that uh what people great episode by the get, way yeah thank you um what people don't really get is that these are actual people they aren't just entertainers here for your the sole purpose of your entertainment they're not like machines that you pack up in a box when they're done playing like they're people and they're hurting and they just want to be heard for once and like you can't look at them through the lens that they're multimillionaires because they have so many people in their lives that are connected to them that aren't as fortunate as them or people they know that like they they feel the pressure of trying to lift up as many people as they can around them and it feels like an insurmountable task and that shouldn't be the case. We should, everyone should be treated equally and fairly. And um, I know people are always like, oh, why can't all lives matter? Like, no, all lives matter when black lives matter. And this is what these guys are trying to say. And I wish people weren't so dense when you hear this, but all in all, in terms of just a health and safety perspective, the bubble is a huge, huge success. Lou Williams thing, you know, that feels like such a long time ago when he went to a strip club and got some chicken wings, but um, (laughs) like that was, that feels long ago, but um definitely just uh that was a huge success the eight local teams i've seen their own camps not having positive tests is a huge success and then you look at like baseball with like the st louis cardinals having to play so many games in a row and like they've they've gotten things under a wrap but the nfl is the new hotbed where they're not really taking it fully seriously and they're letting fans come into the stands and it's just a huge mess in football right now it's insane it's it's all i, I can't get it it's it's all just it's it's like you have a bunch of dough. There's just there's just simple things that you would think they would be able to identify as potential solutions. Like even me, dumb sports fan, can even though my solutions may not be the best, at least I could be like, okay, you have a few, you have quite a few dome stadiums that could possibly set up for, uh, you know, circumstances to have, you know, a, for that could set up a good environment for COVID precautions and things of that nature. But no, like you saw opening night 
um, the Kansas in the Kansas City game, you saw fans were allowed in the stadium. Um, you could probably you could probably tell by the fans in the stadium who they're associated with. They won't get into that politically, but <laughs> they you could you could tell by how they booed the players at halftime or in pregame for you know standing in unity, not even protesting racial injustice. Unity, <laughs> by the way, and they were booing that. Um, just the NFL is just, I don't want to get into the end. The NFL is just, it, it's, it's bad. Um, I'm not a, never been a Roger Goodell fan. I think he's been, I mean, a good commissioner in the sense that the league is making big money, obviously, but in terms of everything else, I think it, I think he's awful, but, um, I think the bubble showed, I think the I think the one thing too also is that there were a few players that won from the bubble and there was also a few things I thought the league could take from the bubble like the way it was set up I thought it was really well done I like the extra spacing around the court I brought the I mentioned that a few times on uh, on Twitter the spacing around the court and how the benches and the scores table is set up I actually kind of hope the league will once if God uh, I hope to God things get back to normal soon um but you know however long it takes to get rid of this virus i could sit um but whenever we do get back to normal i hope the nba could take some of the presentation and the court setting from the bubble and take it to the stadium like i like the extra spacing around the baskets and on the sides so players can you know i think players will be able to utilize their athletic gifts more and take more chances Mm -hmm. on drives and stuff like like the Utah I remember watching the Utah Jazz series and Donovan Mitchell every time he got a pick and roll he was taking off and he was just going to the rim with reckless abandon and sliding all over the extra space that was under the basket and players diving for loose balls out on the side out of bound sideline because there's extra room you could still have a bunch of fans in the stadium but you could, but I think there are ways where you could still apply the extra spacing to the court, and I think that's the one thing I want to see the NBA add. I also think there were a few players that came out of the, this bubble winners. Obviously, we talked about Jimmy Butler, we talked about Nikola Jokic, and I said on my last podcast, "Sorry, Joe, Joel Embiid, love you, but Jokic has now cemented himself as the best center in basketball." You're one of the best players, period. Like, regardless of position, I think he's a top seven. He played, he vaulted himself in the top seven or that tier one that I was talking about, where he's in the not, he's in the stratosphere, but not further up the stratosphere with those other guys. He's in the stratosphere of, okay, this guy can lead us to a champ. I truly believe Nikola Jokic can lead a team to a championship. Um, of course, Luka Doncic, but we already knew how good he was, but we wanted to see the, if he's on the trajectory we think he's on, the playoffs that, those playoffs were a good check mark, a checkpoint for him to use a Bill Simmonsism. Um Devin Booker, longtime Devin Booker stand here. Finally, I, the, these I have a best friend who's a Suns fan, and we watched a bunch of games together uh growing up throughout high school and stuff like that. So I'm always happy for my sons. My uh, friend who's – shout out George. He's a Suns fan. Um, we, I've Me and him always talked about Booker, and we were always the first ones on Booker Island. We love Devin Booker. And the fact that he has dispelled this really just 
it's really incredible how we can look at circumstances and see that a player is in a certain situation that's terrible and we still bypass it to say things like Devin Booker's not a winner. He's a volume scorer. He's an empty calories stats guy. When he did not have the profile, the statistical profile of an empty calorie scorer at all. And so just to see him succeed in the bubble like that in particular, that was my favorite part was seeing the bubble sons finally getting their young talent to show themselves and come to fruition. So there are just a few things from the bubble that I liked, but there were a few players that won in this bubble too. And, uh, I can't wait for Devin Booker, honestly. I could talk about Devin Booker forever, but that's the main one. I think Devin Booker uh, came out a big winner from this bubble, and I can't wait to see what the Suns do next year. I can't wait to see what the Suns do either, and I think it just proves the case that I I was a bit of that guy who that Devin Booker was a bit of an empty calorie player, and maybe part of the problem is in Phoenix is they just didn't have stability and maybe they sorry I unintentionally fired Jones. straight shots at you then <laughs> no you're good I, I get that uh like that's that's an option as well but um more so uh just the fact that like how vital Ricky Rubio was for their success like you know having a competent point guard having an adult at the position yeah, having an adult at the position is huge for Phoenix and I like them to draft Killian Hayes in this draft upcoming draft class and you know kind of maybe slowly bring him along as a bench guard and then or even Tyrese Halliburton to play alongside Booker long term like I think that'd be a fun fit as well but um no Phoenix is an exciting team I think the Pelicans being disappointing wasn't really a surprise and you know maybe they hire the right head coach and they start to head in the right direction but um they were fun Portland's always fun because Dame's just you know further cementing himself as one of those guys that maybe he's not a tier one or tier two guy like we talked about he's maybe like a fringe tier three guy just based on you know currently what portland's ceiling is at and like that's fine there's nothing wrong no no shade against dame but like that's just kind of where portland is at at this point but like that's a lot of fun phoenix was fun like we talked about utah i enjoyed denver was such a pleasant delight and like oh yeah i felt validated with like jamal murray just really growing coming into his own and becoming like one of the best young guards in the league like just going absolutely nuclear and like yeah no we talked about like playmaking big men are the big thing and Jokic is a premier example of that and I mean Miami is a lot of fun too the Celtics were fun um no basketball's in a really good place going forward and like people worry about like the future of the league and like what's going to happen next and like terms of like the interest in terms of like TV ratings and stuff I think that's a little bit overblown um maybe it's just a little bit of hand-wringing at this point but like you look at the talent level across the league like the league is in such a good place going forward in terms of just like talented players. Which is another notch for LeBron's GOAT case because mm-hmm. while there are some, there is some validation to, okay, maybe the era isn't as physical as it used to be. Stop acting like these guys were playing football out there, by the way. Yeah. Um, LeBron is playing in the most talented pool that the league has ever seen. And he is still the best player in the world. Actually, over this last decade, I think the NBA has shown it's been the most talented it's ever been, and it keeps growing. And LeBron is still the best damn player in the league, dude. Like, I can't get over. I can't get over that. Um, Before we go, I wanted to ask you real quick, and uh, this this is the part where I'm gonna ask you to, um, you know, pull out, you know, intel you have gathered from your league sources, but. Next season, the start of next season, now comes the hard part after the first hard part was done, completing this season. Yes. Now comes next season, and we got a draft this month. Um, there's, they're already, I don't, 
the Christmas Day target is not doesn't sound like it's realistic at all. It sounds like it's going to be pushed back. Uh, what are you hearing about potential starts to the season? About any potential worries um, and stuff surrounding the draft? What do you, what are you just hearing about the prospects of next year? Well, in terms of the draft, I think it's going to be tough for a lot of teams because players are out, outright refusing to interview with some teams. Like I know for the Cavs, like Killian Hayes told them no thank you when they reached out for an interview request in the pre-draft, like pre-lottery draft process. Uh, LaMelo Ball said the same thing, but the Cavs will have him number one on their board from what I gathered. Um, it's going to be a little hard because all these workouts and interviews have to be conducted virtually unless a player is willing to and feels safe enough to travel to the local market to work out for the team. Like if a player happens to be in Detroit, I think that's in within reason for like a team like Cleveland to come in. Same thing for Philly. Like I think if a player is in New York or something like the Sixers could attend the workout as well or host yeah. a private workout with a prospect, like that's going to be tough. So it wouldn't be surprising to see players that have a lot more tape on them, such as like an Obi Topin or such as a Tyrese Halliburton, maybe getting drafted higher than they should. Um, it's going to be a weird draft year, but Killian Hayes did say it best during his media availability when he said, um, cause somebody asked him like, do you pay attention to any of the mock drafts? He's like, no. And he's like, really no one should because no one knows what's going to happen. And I think that was a, a well put point on his part um in terms of free agency which will follow around thanksgiving time because i think the draft is mid-november off the top of my head but um that will happen like that's going to be tough too mm. i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of players i think about tristan thompson is a good example who could have really capitalized on a weak free agency class and you know signed with a contend he could sign with a contending team you have like players like Danilo gallinelli who said like bunnies and an option i'd rather win like i think you're going to see a lot of that, or you're going to see a lot of players shining, signing the best or probably most lucrative deal for them, maybe for a year with an option. Yeah, I think only six but teams it, have a max cap slot Yeah, this year. Yeah. So some teams might throw the bag at some of these guys, but it might be for one-year deals, and then they reapproach the market next year because there's uncertainties on what's going to – the cap is going to be frozen, so it's going to be the same heading into free agency for this year and just in general, which is, is fine, but they're worried about the growth long-term just based on yeah. TV deals and everything. But that's just speculation at this point. Um, and in terms of the start of the season, from what I've heard and what I've gathered, uh, realistically, they're hoping to have teams back in their training camp situations with the start of 2021, maybe early January. They do training camp and preseason, and then – the end of January, early February, they start the regular season and they're hoping for 82 games. Um, they're trying, they're, they're exploring all avenues. I know they're considering like local scheduling. So it's just, you know, a lot less travel, a lot less risk for and playing more of your yeah. divisional rivals and stuff like that. Yeah. So for like, where divisions might actually matter for once in the league or divisions <laughs> or just, you know, so Cleveland's like a weird example because Minnesota is lumped in with them. So it would be Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, and Min Minneapolis playing in like their own little hub. Oh yeah, say. that would be, that is, that is weird. But then like all the California teams would more or less just be lumped together. Maybe you lump Phoenix in with them regionally and maybe you mm. lump or somehow work in like Portland. Portland. Yeah. As well, just to like keep it like contained at least. And like, they try to do that kind of setup or maybe they do that because the NBA is well aware of the fact that a bubble for an entire season is entirely unrealistic. And um, yeah, so that's the thing. But um, 
they are thinking realistically the start date is late January, early February, and they'll try to play a full 82 games, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they maybe do like a condensed season just so they can try and get back on their normal pathing of starting in like that late October, early November start range. And I don't know. I think it's the NBA gambled on maybe being like the first major sport being watchable in the summer because they didn't have to directly compete with football in the fall and winter and everything and like you know baseball is its own thing like i think it's a distant third in terms of the nba in terms of football in general but after the returns on like tv viewership in the fall and during the summer like there's that massive spike when basketball came back where viewers tuned in but I think the NBA is realizing like maybe we just need to go back to the way things were, but I, I don't really know 100% what's going to happen, but I'm getting the impression it's going to be early next year. And if they wanted to start on Christmas, like that's very optimistic on their part, but I just don't think it's yeah. going to happen because they've already pushed things back. It's already, they, they yeah, push, it's they, they too quick of a turnaround. Yeah, they, they pushed the draft back twice now. And I wouldn't be surprised if they like suddenly announced like, okay, we need to wait like another two weeks for the draft, even though it's all going to be virtual at this point. Um, but it, it's a weird time. And, yeah, like like you said, Gallinari gave a good view into what I've heard and saying like players might just sign like team friendly deals to win a championship, or they will just sign the best deal for them for one year, possibly two, and then just reapproach the market next year and see like they need to get traded or sign with another team. Well, as a Sixer fan, that actually gives me some hope that maybe some players will be persuaded by Doc <laughs> to come join him. Uh, but. Uh, but uh, it's it, it's it was it was a weird season. It was it, these are weird times, and now we have one bigger thing to focus on in the next three weeks, which I'm not looking forward to. And I'm sure I'm going to be working that night on election night, which is going to be hectic and hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll worry about that when that comes around. The big thing is the NBA season is now over the 2019-2020 season ended with the Los Angeles Lakers being crowned the champions. LeBron James has his fourth ring, fourth finals MVP, only player to be finals MVP for three different teams, and he is the greatest player of all time. Evan Damarell, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And thank you. I couldn't think of a bit. I was going to record a solo pod last night or the 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 last night or the night after the finals about LeBron Uh, late night after work. After I got up at three, I was planning to do a podcast. But then I was like, you know what? One, I'm going to bed Two, I can't think of a better person to talk and muse about LeBron with than you. So I appreciate you coming on and uh, thank you for the time, man. No, thank you, man. I'm always happy to come on and talk and ditto for you coming on my show. It's always a treat to have you on. It's everyone support Jordan if you can and uh, listen to his stuff. Check out his YouTube channel. Check out any of his work. It's always enjoyable because you give 110% what you do. And um, we need to support good content creators. And Jordan is definitely one of them. Thank And thank you. And you can thank you so much for those kind words um you can follow evan damarell at am not evan you can check out his work on Forbes sports you can check out his work on fear the sword you're basically you're doing everything for uh, covering the calves you're doing a fantastic job and oh, uh you. happy for the new venture you and locked on calves is taking on by the way um saw, saw you and a uh, chris on the, the uh, video 
this morning and it was just like oh yeah. wow like they you guys you guys are you guys are doing it man so um yeah no it, it's it's definitely weird wkyc is the nbc affiliate for cleveland and so they brought us on the evening news for sports segments and stuff and then like so that's really my family, that's my, really my, cool. my family see me on tv and then like a lot of people reach out saying like hey we saw you guys on tv and now we're listeners so yeah no it's um it's a weird experience like a year ago if you told me this is what i'd be doing when it comes to covering the Cavs, or even two or three years ago it'll laughed at you but i'm incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate to be in the position i am in i'm hoping nba media access doesn't change too much this year because i got my first taste of covering the nba in person for the sacramento kings and i do not want that feeling to go away or stop it's, so it's the best hopefully next season um things go back to normal but uh until then guys tune in for more videos on the slyover youtube channel got more historical they're going to be going back to more historical and decade look backs uh now that the season's over and uh check out evan and his work and uh thanks for listening we'll see you next time